0: Now, how many times have you tried to start over with God? How many times have you been convicted by the word of God? You knew you needed to change and then nothing really happened. And I think it's a, it's a common problem that we think we're going to do better. We think we're going to live different. We're going to make big changes and we're going to take a new path, turn over a new leaf, start anew with God only To see the same old sins get us each day, only to have the same problems crop up again and again. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight as it comes from the book of Nehemiah. And believe it or not, we're rounding out this book and almost done as we've been looking at these great pictures of restoration as God is rescuing and saving his people and generating within them a heart's desire to do the work that is put before him. And we are seeing that that is where the people are at this moment. Uh, Back in chapter 8, the people have been convicted by their sins. Remember, they begin weeping as they hear the law, and yet... The leaders of the people have have been proclaiming to them, don't weep, but this is a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration to see what God had accomplished in bringing them back and putting them on the land and blessing them in that way. The point being that their story was not over, that though they had violated God's law and they were worthy of condemnation, that God had come to them and rescued them and brought them back into the land and how they needed to serve them. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1 continues that picture. See there in chapter 9 and verse 1 that the people of Israel are assembled together. And verse 1 says that they are fasting, they're wearing sackcloth, they are putting dust on their head. All the symbols of of mourning and sorrow are are being depicted as they assemble now at, at this time. And I want you to notice what is what is happening. Verse two, it says there that the people of Israel separated themselves from all the foreigners and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their of their fathers. For while they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession And worship of the Lord their God. And so here they come in mourning. And we have the picture of listening to the law for hours. Just again, they're proclaiming and reading the law. And then once they're done reading the law, they spend another fourth of the day in confession and worshiping God. I love that. You're really seeing the heart of the people here who are ready to worship, ready to listen to God's word for hours and hours and hours and hours. And so with that heart, as they're listening to the word of God and they're making confession, you will notice what this turns into in verse five, the Levites with their various names there said to the people, stand up, bless be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Bless be your glorious name And may it be exalted above all blessing and and praise. And what now transpires for the rest of chapter 9 is this amazing prayer confession that the people give. Here they are confessing sins and they're listening to the law and they're worshiping God. And now we're going to get a picture of here is this this uh, community-wide confession that the people proclaim. And I want you to, to observe all the different aspects of this very long confession because I think what we're going to see is it is the, the means by which that they're going to accomplish this renewal, this making all things new that we're talking about tonight. And as we observe those elements, then that's going to help us in seeing some keys of how we can make the same changes as they did. You'll notice the picture that's given as they start proclaiming about God. Verse six, you, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens and the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and all the stars of heaven worship you beginning with just simple picture god you made it all you are the great creator you are creator over all things and there are seven you the lord are the god who chose abram and brought him out of her of the chaldeans and changed his name to abraham you found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land of the canaanites Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have fulfilled your purpose for you are righteous. Second picture, you are creator God and you have been faithful. You made a promise, you made a covenant and you have kept it. You have done exactly as you said. Verse nine, you performed, you saw the oppression of, of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea, you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh you per- and all of his officials and all the people of the land. For you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging water. You lend them with a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to illumine the way they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and and gave them commands, statutes, instructions through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. So we're seeing creator God, faithful God, and then a picture of a rescuing God. We remember how you brought us out of Egypt and how you dealt with our enemies and freed us and how Moses brought us to Mount Sinai and you provided for us in the wilderness. But notice the shift that happens in verse 16. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they committed terrible blasphemies, yet you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness 40 years and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. So you'll notice that you have this historical sins confessed. We start off with. God, you are creator, you are faithful, you're a rescuing God. And then they stop and go, but we were terrible. We, we didn't keep the commands. But then in their failure, he then starts talking about how God forgave and how God provided for them in the midst of all of that. And then you'll notice in verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and peoples and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of the king of Sihon of Heshbon and the land of And the land of King Od of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky and brought them to the land. You told your ancestors to go in and possess. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and their surrounding peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities and fertile land and took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock Vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate, were filled, became prosperous, and delighted in your great goodness. You'll notice the picture of then you were a conquering God. How you cared for us and brought us victory. And then even talking about verse 25... They ate and were filled. You satisfied the people so that they could delight in your goodness. And you think, and this was going to be the turning point for the people, right? But verse 26, but they were disobedient and they rebelled against you and flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back. They committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them in their time of distress. They cried out to you and you heard from heaven in your abundant compassion. You gave them saviors who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. You warned them. To turn back to your law. But they acted arrogantly and would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks, and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion... You did not destroy them or abandon them for you are a gracious and compassionate God. And so again, they confess their sins, which then immediately transitions into what a compassionate and merciful God that we have. So here are all these characteristics of God. We have failed and that is all the more displayed the greatness of God, the providing of God, the satisfying that God can provide to the people. And so there is this great proclamation that's being made as they make these confessions. Now, here is the big question. What is the point of this prayer? Why are they doing this? Why are they enumerating all of the various characteristics in this long confessional prayer to God? Well, listen to verse 32 now. And so now our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant. Do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors and all your people from the days of the Assyrian kings to today. You are righteous concerning all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them. When they were in their kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them, and in the spacious and and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. I want you to notice what happens here is After proclaiming all of the various characteristics of God, he comes into this this great truth that he wants to zero in on. And you'll notice that he first starts by saying in in verse 32, quite simply, God, you are faithful and we are not. That's the big summary of of recounting the character of God. You have been faithful, but we have been unfaithful to you. We are a wicked people. And yet, in spite of our wickedness, you continue to be faithful to us. And we are in this situation because of our sins. It's great to see that point made in, in verse 36 and verse 37. We, we brought this on ourselves. We have done these, these sins and that is why we are, are enslaved and that is why we are ultimately in great distress. And I want you to notice what that leads to at the very end of the chapter. After they make this confession, they say, we are going to make this firm agreement, this covenant with God. And things are going to change this time. We are not going to go back into doing those kinds of sins again. We are going to be faithful and we are going to be your people. And so really a powerful confession and a powerful means by which they are communicating to God and saying, this time we are going to serve you. In fact, you'll notice in chapter 10 that you have those first 27 verses. It's a... It's a sea of names. And you'll notice that verse 1 says these are the people who basically signed the document. You know, it's kind of like how we had our Declaration of Independence. And you had everybody put their name on it of great importance that signed it. And said, this is what we stand behind. And here in chapter 10, you see the same thing. We're making this great confession that we are going to make a firm covenant with God and we are going to go a different path and we're going to make things new. We're going to be renewed in God. And here are the people who signed the document right out of the gate. Verse one, you have Nehemiah and then a long list of all the others who were signing their name. Verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers and the temple servants, along with their wives, their sons, their daughters, Everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses to obey carefully all the commands, ordinances and statutes. Of the Lord our God. You feel like this is a Joshua moment where Joshua would stand up and say, Who's going to serve God around here? And now you're having that kind of moment here. People are signing their names of the document and saying, We are going to obey. We are going to do exactly what God has said. We are going to keep the covenant that God has given to us and carefully obey His commands and keep His statutes just as Moses gave it to us. But what happens next, I think, is interesting. You'll notice in verse 30, they start enumerating what they're going to do. In verse 30, you'll notice it says there that we're not going to marry the people of the land. In verse 31, we're not going to buy and sell on the Sabbath. We're going to keep the Sabbath. Verse 32, we're going to give our offerings so that that you can be in service to the house of God. Verse 34, the priests are going to burn the offerings and the sacrifices as prescribed by God on the altar. Verses 35 through 37, we're going to bring in the first fruits to God as he had commanded. Verse 38, we're going to bring in the tithes to the priests and bring in the contributions so that the house of of God is not neglected. Verse 39. Notice what they're doing is they're just laying out, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Here is what we are going to do. We are making a firm agreement. Here's what we are going to accomplish for God as we try to serve him and obey him. And and for the sake of time, chapters 11 and 12 are just describing How the people are willing to do this and go about this restoration as they resettle Jerusalem and they start doing the things that God had called them to do. Chapter 12 ends with this great dedication to God as well as the people beginning to do what God had called them to do. And what I want to spend our time looking at in terms of application from this text It is noting four important steps that you see brought out here by the people that are keys to renewal. I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, it can seem like it's a struggle to renew ourselves and to begin new with God and want to start on the right foot and make changes. And I want to look at how these people went about doing this. I want you to see the first thing uh, that we see is that this whole scene begins By confessing the character of God. And I think this is a very important aspect of renewal that is easily overlooked. The necessity to confess the character of God. It all begins there. The leaders in chapter 9 and verse 5, they instruct the people, you need to stand up. And praise the Lord and all of the various characteristics that are praised about God. He is creator. He is faithful. He's a rescuing God. He's a forgiving God. He is a providing God. He is a conquering God, a satisfying God, a merciful God over and over again. You are hearing the people proclaim this is who our God is. And friends, that is a key initiating point if we're going to be transformed and renewed in the image of God. The Apostle Paul said this very thing on two different occasions. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and perhaps that clause gets too easily missed. As we talk about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, uh, and, and was your true worship not conforming to this age but being transformed by the renewing of our minds? That you may be what is good, please, and perfect will of God. But where does all that start? Viewing the mercies of God. If you're going to be the living sacrifice that God wants you to offer in your life, then you need to be viewing the. The mercies of God. If we're not going to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind... It begins by seeing the mercies of God. That's what these people are doing. They are looking at the mercies of God in all of his character. The mercy of God as creator. The mercy of God as being faithful to his covenant. The mercy of God who brought us into the land. The mercy of God who had rescued us from our slavery. The mercy of God who provided and satisfied us in the wilderness. They're just going through and noting the mercies of God. In what he had done for them. This is the idea that you have in Colossians 3 and verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice the same idea is being put forward. As you come to know who God is, and you see his mercies and you see his character, that's what's going to bring about the change from the old self to the new self. And this part is so easily skipped. So often when we want to be renewed and we want to be able to be living for God, we just start thinking about, okay, well, what are the rules? What are the things that need to be done? And we miss zeroing in on, you have to come to know God. You have to know his character You can't just simply know the thou shalts and thou shalt nots to do this, but don't do that. You have to know who he is. And that's what they are proclaiming is that they are saying that it is all about knowing who he is and what that he has accomplished. Renewal and transformation cannot be successful in any other path. And that's why the leaders stand before the people and say, here, if we're going to get right with God and we're going to enter into a covenant and we're going to do what he says and we're not going to do as our ancestors did, that it starts with a full knowledge of God. Now, I don't know how often we think about the necessity of that. Sometimes we, we talk about knowing God's law, knowing his word, reading the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, spending time in the word of God. Sometimes it can almost be presented as. You know, this is something you have to do. It's, it's, your, it's your checklist. It's, you know, the, your you make sure you read your Bible kind of thing. But I want you to see the purpose underneath it. Transformation and renewal can only happen if we come to know his character. We have to know who he is. And so renewal begins there. And that's why they are confessing the various characteristics of God. Friends, we need to praise him for who he is, what he has done how he's cared for us, how he's blessed us, how he's helped us through dark and difficult times, praise him for his patience, praise him for his forgiveness, praise him for every aspect of his character. That's what these people are doing. They are just going through it all and saying, Lord, you are this, 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 and this. And even when we had done all these sins, you were still faithful and good and righteous. And so they're just laying all that out. It is the first key step to revival. Number two, renewal requires confessing sins. One thing that is very powerful about what the people are doing in this text is that they don't make excuses for their sins. They don't shift blame and say, you know, those people were so bad and so terrible. and They didn't know any better, but it is as if it's their own sins. Our ancestors did this. And we've fallen into the same trap of of, of ignoring God and and failing him and, and sinning before him. And so you see them, the people proclaiming, we have sinned, we have sinned, we have sinned, we have not done what is right. And there's a reason why God is always calling for us to confess our sins. Like in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same thing in James 5 and verse 16, that we need to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed because the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. What you are seeing in, in this picture is that renewal is impossible if we are covering up our sins, that we have to be able to admit what we've done, not hide them. One of the worst things that we can do if we want to get right with God and start on the new path and make all things new and and really have a transformation is deny what we've done. Hide our sins. Don't own it. Don't be honest about it. Don't be willing to confess it before God. Keep it in the corner and just think you're going to keep going forward without being able to do that. Why does God want us to confess sins? There's a reason to it. There's a, there's an accountability. There's an ownership. There's a saying to God, I know what I've done and I'm not trying to hide it and I'm not making excuses for it and I need forgiveness from it and I need you to come in and forgive me. And this goes back to the idea of being, what Jesus said of being poor in spirit and being a mourner over sins. Because have you noticed that when we think we're doing well, then we don't need to confess our sins. We're doing all right. And if we're not confessing sins, then we're not making changes. It is only when we own our sins that we are able to say, okay, here are my weaknesses and my failures and my downfalls. And I'm confessing them, I'm open to them, and I need changes in these areas. And so we admit our failures, we don't. Hide them, Which is really what details, I think, perhaps uh, another really critical point of what the people do. I want you to notice that then after they confess these characteristics of God and then they confess their sins, you will notice that they now make specific declarations about what they're going to do differently. You will notice that the people do not say, you are a great God and we have sinned. And we promise to do better. Okay, we're done. Great great confession. And I want you to think about how many times we have the tendency to do that. Okay, God is a great God, and I have sinned, and I'm going to do better. Nothing specific. I'm just going to do better. I'm just going to try harder. It's just gonna, it's just gonna, I'm just going to do something. I want you to notice the specificity. They write out and say... We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to bring in the offerings. We're going to bring in the contributions. We're going to bring in the first fruits. We're going to make sure that we are tithing. We are going to ensure that the priests are getting what they should get so that they can continue to keep the house of God working and functional. We're going to make sure that the offerings and sacrifices are being made. They are extremely specific. In what they say they're going to do. And that is a very important part of what renewal requires. Because only then can we measure how we're doing. It is easy to say, I'm going to do better this week. That is not a measurable thing. So that you get to the end of the week and you say, now did I do better? Well, I really don't know. I didn't make any specific commitment to God. I didn't say to God, here are the steps I'm going to take to make true changes. We just get generic with God and say, oh, I think I'm going to do better. We need to make commitments that are specific and measurable. Don't just say, I'm going to pray more Then how'd you do? I don't know. Make a commitment that says at 9 p.m., each night, I'm going to stop and pray. Now you have something specific and something measurable to move that renewal along versus just saying, I want to pray more or Bible reading rather than saying, I'm going to read my Bible more this week. You're going to make a a specific commitment and say at breakfast, I'm going to read for 15 minutes every single day. Now you have something specific It is a commitment that you can make before God that can be measured so that you can see how you're doing in that progress. It is too easy to say, I'm convicted by my sin. We have a great God and I need to do better. And ending on, I need to do better, doesn't go anywhere. And I'm impressed by the people who just delineate it. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to keep keep bringing the offerings. We're going to bring in the tithe. We're going to bring in the first fruits. They just start listing everything that they're going to do. And renewal requires that we need to make clear goals for ourselves of what we are exactly going to do differently tomorrow than what we did today. If we want to be able to overcome temptations and sins, then we need to have a plan. What am I going to do differently tomorrow than I did today? Be specific in that commitment that you make before God. And then number four, be realistic. Now you say, now where was realistic in this? Realism was in the whole of their confession. Did you notice something depressing about their prayer? (laughs) The thing that is depressing about the prayer is they are confessing 1,000 years of Israel's history and it is a history of failure. God, you are a creator God and you are a faithful God and you are a rescuing God, but all we've done is sin. And you were patient and gracious and kind and all we did was become more stubborn and turned our backs all the more and threw your law behind us. And so we sinned all the more, but you were compassionate and and gracious to us, but we still sinned all the more. The the key thread is, that is found through all this is this thread of failure that is found in this generation after generation trying to do better only to fail. And I hope that we get a sense of of that reality and what they're confessing is that there is a great hopelessness of trying to just simply rely on our own obedience. Okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And you know we're still going to fail. You know that we're still going to come come short. Our hope is what has been repeated throughout that confession. God is a merciful God. Our hope is that God is merciful and patient and compassionate with us. And so I think that is a key element to have as we begin the steps of renewal is that so often we can put these pieces together I understand the character of God, and I'm confessing my sins, and I'm making specific changes, and then Monday comes, and we still fail anyway. And our first tendency is I quit. I can't do this. I keep trying and trying and trying, and my failures make me want to quit. And I want you to see that that's not what God wants. That what you see proclaimed about God is a God who is patient with us, a God who is merciful, a God who is compassionate. As you are recounting the character of God, really note about how God receives repentant people, how he desires to have people come back to him and is patient and kind in that over and over again. And so in these four steps, confess the character of God, confess your sins, confess the specific changes you're going to make. But then when you fall down, don't quit and think that you can't succeed. Look to the mercy of God and look to the patience of God to pick you back up. I'll remind us that renewal does not happen in a day. But renewal is a lifetime of work that God is accomplishing in us. It it crushes my soul to see how many people, because of failure, quit, give up, think their sin has disqualified them, can't serve God anymore. And one of the beautiful characteristics of God that is threaded through this whole confession is God is a compassionate and merciful God. The reason he is is so that you will not give up, but so that you will get back up and keep going in renewal and in life change for him. One of the reasons God gives us so much time is so that we can have time for transformation, time for renewal. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you can probably look back over your life and see all those rough edges that God is refining and smoothing over and transforming little by little by little. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens over a lifetime. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a a beautiful heart we see of these people who have assembled together to confess your glory and your goodness and your greatness, to confess their sins and to make specific changes of how they were going to serve you. And Lord, what a great model for us that we would do the same in our lives, that Lord, we would come to know you deeper and deeper every day and that the knowledge of you would transform our hearts and transform our thinking, transform the way that we live so that we could be ever closer to being a model, just like your son and following his ways and obeying your words, following his teachings. So Lord, we pray that that would be us this day, that we would always see your mercies and in view of them be transformed to be the living sacrifices that you want us to be. And Lord, encourage our hearts when we fail, that we would not hide our sins, but quickly confess them to you. We know, Lord, that you have asked us to bring our failures and our sins to you. And so, so Lord, help us to be a people with open hands, with nothing to hide, admitting all that we have done to you. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make true commitments to you, that our love would not be like the morning dew that simply vanishes away after a few moments, but that we would make real commitments to you, that we would truly devote ourselves to real changes today, this week, this month, this year, and for the rest of our lives. Lord, give us the strength to do it. Empower us to make these changes in our lives so that we can all the more be of service to you, to give you glory and praise in the days ahead. And Lord, thank you for your son that picks us back up every time we fail. Lord, thank you for your astounding patience toward us. Thank you for being compassionate to us. Thank you for being gracious toward us. We absolutely do not deserve your mercy. And there is nothing better than to hear the words of your Apostle Paul that says, in spite of our sinning, but you came in and saved us because of your rich mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus tonight to make these changes, to be renewed as God wants you to be, to consider where you are with God, what needs to be done different. As you come to know him, confess your sins. And make specific changes. We want to help you do that anyway. If we can help you respond to this invitation, we would certainly love for you to come forward now and do that while we stand.